Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. It's an avocado slicer. That's exactly right. And I have a, a picture of one in its domestic, uh, in its natural setting. Uh, yeah, it, it's got, it, somebody really loved avocados and was inventive and, and crafted this thing. And I don't know, it slices and dices them and does all these wonderful things. I think this part removes the little pit from the inside of it. Uh, that's what it's for. That, that's what this device is for. It's for slicing up and preparing an avocado to eat. My, the little tool got me thinking. It got me thinking about faith. And here's what I mean about how, how, how does this get you thinking about faith? Here's, here's what I mean. I've noticed that sometimes, maybe you have too, it's Sometimes Christians have the same experience with faith that some of us have with an avocado slicer. We know that faith has an important purpose, right? We know it's important to the Christian life. We're just not entirely sure what that purpose is. We know it must do something. It wouldn't be in the drawer if it didn't. But I think a lot of Christians, we're, we, we know it's, we're saved by faith. We know that. But, but is there anything else it does? Is there anything else faith is for? Well, we're continuing through our, our study this morning through Hebrews. And the, the last two sermons, if you've been here, you know the last two sermons have been from uh, chapter 11. Uh, the Hall of Faith chapter, we call it sometimes, because it's very much like a Hall of Fame. If you've ever visited a sports Hall of Fame or a music Hall of Fame, you know, you, it's just person after person after a person who did great things. Well, this is the Hall of Faith, person after person, men and women alike, who were people of tremendous faith. And that's what this chapter is. Uh, we've, and so we've been looking at what it looks like to live by faith, which is really what the message of the chapter is. And I've made the case that that it can be all summarized with a single word. You can summarize the whole chapter with a single word, and the word is trust. To have faith in the Lord, to walk by faith, to live by faith, is to trust the Lord. And not just when it's easy, that's one thing, but to trust the Lord when it's hard, as we see with so many of the examples here. So uh, this is the third of three on this chapter. Last week, for week one, we laid out some general principles. Last week, we focused mostly on the future. What does it look like to trust the Lord with the future? That was verses 8 through 22. Now today, we shift our focus to the present. And as I look at these last, the last half or third or so of this chapter, uh, what you have are lots of examples of men and women who were trusting the Lord. The future was certainly engaged, but, but in the present, in their present circumstances. And so that's our main idea this morning. Not only can we trust him with the future, we can also trust him right now. We can trust him with the present. Uh, today's passage has lots of examples, uh, more than the first two passages we've looked at. And really what you get here is the author just starts piling them up. He just starts piling them up one on top of another. And, and I think there's a, a, a teaching effect and really a spiritual effect of this, which is that it helps us see that trusting the Lord touches everything. It affects, it's, it's not just a narrowly defined sort of a thing. It, it touches every aspect of our lives in some way or another. And, and so we're going to go through those verses that we heard just a few moments ago, and we're going to work through them together. And as we do, uh, if you're a sermon outline kind of a person, you've already noticed there's nine in there today. So that's a long outline, right? Uh, but but I, I, we're going to do that on purpose. We'll spend less time with each individual one, but I'm trying to capture a sense of the fullness and the comprehensiveness of this, of this chapter. So we're actually going to talk about nine ways that trusting the Lord helps us in the present. It helps us trust him. It helps us live for Jesus in the present by trusting the Lord. So if somebody were to ask us, what is faith for? 
we'll be able to say at least these nine things. These are nine things that faith is for. So the first one, number one, uh, the first way uh, that trusting the Lord helps us is that it helps us defy evil. We defy evil by faith. And there's a lot of evil in the world that needs to be defied. We do that by faith. That's the next example. So I, I want to call it the first example, but it's not the first, of course. It's the first in our text, but it's just the next in, uh, in, the, in the passage. But uh, picking up with verse 23, the author says, uh, by faith. So he was talking about Joseph in verse 22. Now he says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So we start with Moses, uh, although technically we're starting with the parents of Moses, aren't we? Because they're the ones who hid the baby. The baby didn't hide himself. They hid the baby, and they did that by faith, it says at the beginning of the verse. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents. Um, this comes in Exodus. So the first two weeks, we're in, in uh, Genesis. Now, uh, we, we pick up in Exodus, Exodus chapters 1 and 2. If you wanted to go read it, you could. Um, Joseph and his family, they were welcome guests in Egypt, but now they're gone. There's a new king in town. There's a new dynasty. And so Israel has gone from being welcome welcome guests to oppressed slaves. And you can read that story if you haven't read, in, read it in a while. But the Lord blessed his people. He just kept blessing them, uh, and specifically numerically. He increased their numbers while they were in Egypt, and so they kept growing, and the more babies they had, the more scared the Egyptians got. Eventually, the Pharaoh was so worried by all this that he gave an order, and the order was that all of the baby boys, and this was, would have been of a specific generation, he was trying to winnow down the population, uh, but all the baby boys were to be killed. They were to be killed. First, he told the midwives to kill them, and when that wasn't working, he just said, take all the baby boys and throw them in the Nile River. This is evil, right? This is terribly evil. A government order to kill all the baby boys. But Moses' parents refused to obey, right? That's, that's, that's what verse 23 zeroes in on. They defied the Pharaoh's evil command. How did they do it? By faith. They trusted the Lord as they defied this evil thing. Uh, the text says, uh, when they saw the child was beautiful, um, they, that word there, it's not only that he was a, a, a lovely baby, right? All babies are beautiful, right? We all know that. It's, it's not just that he was a more beautiful baby than other babies. The word, uh, in fact, some translations will do this. They'll say special or goodly. When they saw the baby was goodly, I think an older translation says. And the idea, it's not just his, that he was physically a pretty baby. It was that um, they saw, and we're not told how, but they knew. I, I personally think there's like hints of a, of a prophetic knowledge of it. They knew God told them somehow that this baby had a special calling. And so, by faith, they believed that word from God, they believed what they saw, and by faith they defied that evil, evil command. They did it by faith. The same thing is true for you and me, right? As we just go through each one of these, right? So we find ourselves in situations where we have to defy evil. And how do we do it? We do it by faith, right? Every time a, 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 a believer, one of us, uh, stands up for, for what's right in this world. Uh, if you're a believer, you're doing that by faith. You're trusting in the Lord to work in you and through you and to, to protect you if it goes badly or to, to work through you like he did through Moses to bring justice, right? We think about, you know, abortion or racism or even more at a mi more micro level, you know, like bullying in school. If you're a student, maybe you can stand up for someone else. 
morals, uh, discrimination, exploitation of all its various kinds, all, all its kinds. Whenever we defy those kinds of evils we run into, we can do so, and we, can, we do do so by faith, by trusting in the Lord. So that's example number one. Uh, the second way in this text we see that trusting the Lord helps us is, is that it helps us prioritize eternity. And so this one has, the first one has a lot to do with how we interact with a, a fallen world. This one has to do with how we think about our own lives and the way we're, we're living our lives. Because when we trust in the Lord, when we have faith in Him, we make choices that put the most important things first. We put the most important things first by faith. In particular, we prioritize our eternal reward over temporary, uh, over temporary pleasures and so on. Maybe this is obvious, but let's say it. Not everybody lives that way. I think about the world you and I live in. Not everybody puts eternal rewards ahead of, uh, ahead of the present. Right? The only people who do that are those who are living by faith. And this is what we see Moses do. The author highlights it for us rather sharply in verses 24 through 26. Let me read them again. So it's, it continues. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, not a baby anymore, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So the Lord protected uh, baby Moses, and through a series of events, it's stories told in in, uh, in Exodus, as well as half a dozen movies perhaps you've seen, uh, the Lord protected Moses. He ends up being adopted by one of Pharaoh's daughters, one of the daughters of Pharaoh. And so it's a wonderful one of those God things, right? This baby boy who's supposed to be killed on Pharaoh's order ends up becoming Pharaoh's grandson. Right? So it's pretty pretty striking intervention by God. And so uh, Moses is raised in and lives in uh, the Pharaoh's household. Uh, maybe you've heard the phrase, it's good to be the king. Well, it's also good to be the king's grandson. And, I, and what I mean is Moses would have had a, a very easy life. He would have had a very good life uh, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, he would have been educated at a time when most people were not. Uh, he would have had some measure of authority. We don't know if he was, you know, a, a, an army general like in the old Charlton Heston movie. We don't know all those details that aren't given to us, but he certainly would have had authority and influence. He would have lived in luxury. We know that the, the, that, that whole royal court in ancient Egypt lived in luxurious, uh, lived luxuriously. That's what he had as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he gave it all up. Moses gave it all up, our author reminds us here in Hebrews. Uh, he gave up the privileges. It talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. When you see that phrase, a lot of us, you know, maybe you'll think of like, you know, sex or partying or something. That, that would be included, but, but actually the word, the phrase that's used here means just like the perks, the privileges, all the good stuff that he would have had access to uh, in, in the present as a member of Pharaoh's household. He gave up all all of that in exchange for it's not just that he gave it up look what he exchanged it for he exchanged it for identification with his own people and therefore mistreatment at, at the hands of pharaoh with the with the people of god why did he do it verse 26 tells us why he did it he was looking for the better reward he was looking for the reward it says and i think this connects back to some of the stuff we talked about with abraham you'll remember abraham was doing the same thing we talked about it last week abraham was investing in eternity focused on the better country you know striving for that heavenly home that God was preparing
caring for him. And he did that by faith. Abraham did it by faith. Moses does the same thing, right? He can't see any of it. In fact, he's giving up the easy stuff he can see for something he can't see, but he's striving for the better reward. That's the same thing for you and me. We, I, we talked about that one quite a bit last week, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but it's just an echo of that same idea. We make present decisions based on God's future eternal heavenly reward. And we do that. We do that by faith. Uh, The third way that trusting the Lord helps us in our present lives is that it helps us overcome our fears, right? We overcome fear by faith. We trust in the Lord and he helps us overcome our fears. And this is what Moses did, right? That's what verse 27 says. Moses overcame fear by faith. By faith, he, we're still talking about Moses, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, For he endured as seeing him, talking about the Lord, him who is invisible. So some people take that verse as a reference to when Moses had to flee. If you remember the story as a young man, he he sees an Egyptian uh, beating a Hebrew slave, and he's so incensed that he murders him. Uh, Moses kills that that Egyptian. And uh, Well, you can't go around doing that kind of thing. You can't go around murdering other Egyptians. And so uh, Pharaoh puts out uh, a warrant for Moses, actually more of a hit on Moses. Uh, Moses has to be killed because of what he did, he says. And, And so Moses flees. He flees Egypt and he goes and he lives in the desert of Midian for 40 years as a shepherd. Some people think that verse refers to that. Um, could be, but I actually think the better way to interpret that verse is that that is, a, that is describing for us how Moses processed it in that whole confrontation that he has with Pharaoh when God sends him back. So the Lord appears to him in the burning bush and says, go back and tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. And from chapters 4 all the way through like chapter 12, I think it is, uh, Moses keeps coming back to Pharaoh. God says, let my people go. God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh wasn't happy about it. Right? Remember, Pharaoh gets angry. And every time there's another one of these plagues, he gets angrier. Pharaoh gets angry and angry, more and more angry. Verse 27, but Moses was not afraid of the anger of the king. He kept coming back and he kept telling Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. He kept trusting the Lord. And I think that's what that's referring to. That must have been a terrible... Remember, technically, I mean, sure, 40 years have gone by, but he's supposedly, you know, he's, there's a death sentence on his head because of what he did all those years ago. And yeah, here he is. It's probably a different Pharaoh, although we're not 100% sure. But, but it's the same dynasty. It's the same bunch. And, and so that must have been a very terrifying, potentially terrifying thing for Moses. But he was not afraid of the anger of the king because he trusted the Lord. By the way, you get another example of this a little earlier in verse 23 with his parents. And I kind of purposely skipped over it before, but I read the verse, right? The parents of Moses were not afraid of the king's edict, right? They saved that baby because they weren't afraid of, of the Pharaoh. And so it's not just Moses. There's lots of examples of people overcoming fear uh, by, uh, by, tr- by faith, by trust in the Lord. Uh, I actually thought of, um, maybe you do too, I, think, I thought of David, Psalm 56, great verse. When I am afraid, David wrote, I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? When we trust in the Lord, that's what we have access to. By faith, he helps us when we're afraid. I'll ask you, is there anything that's niggling in the back or maybe more than niggling that that is causing you 
fear today, right? Or, or you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid, I'm just anxious. Well, anxiety to me is just another flavor of fear, it seems to me, uh, or at least many times it is. Is there, is there something that's causing you fear? Maybe it's something in, for, you know, for one of your kids, if you have children, or perhaps it's for yourself, or for an aging parent, or you know, there's so many examples. Uh, you know, maybe you're afraid about the potential of war in the Middle East, and of that expanding, or what's already been happening in, in Europe. Uh, you know, maybe it's those bigger fears. There's so many things, but we don't have to be dragged down by those. We can overcome fear by trusting in the Lord, by having our faith in him. So that's number three. Uh, Number four, the fourth way trusting the Lord helps us is that it helps us through faith, by faith, we experience the Lord's power. By faith, we get to experience the Lord's power. We get to see him work in our own lives. Uh, There are lots of examples of this in our text, uh, but I think it's especially clear in the next two, which is why I organized it this way. So let's look at the next two. These are both just bursts of God's power that we are told are experienced by faith. So here they are. Verse 28, um, by faith, still talking about Moses, by faith, he kept the Passover and he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So verse 28 summarizes the first Passover, and you can read about it in uh, Exodus. If you're kind of jotting down, read that later, uh, Exodus 11 through 13. Pharaoh kept refusing. He wouldn't let God's people go. Finally, after a series of plagues, the worst, God sends the worst of the plagues, the 10th plague. Uh, He sends an excuse me, he sends an angel, the angel of death, to to kill all the firstborn children, the firstborn children of of everyone who's in Egypt. But he spared the, the Hebrews. The Lord spared the Hebrews if they brushed the blood of a sacrificial, sacrificial lamb. So every family, every household was supposed to take a lamb and sacrifice it to the Lord. And if they brushed that blood over the doorposts of their homes, the angel of death passed over, hence Passover. He didn't take the life of any in those homes. Now we think of that Passover, we think of that first Passover and, and its subsequent celebrations as a, as a display. But that, that first Passover was a display of mercy and judgment. Right? And we use, a lot of times we'll talk about it at Easter because so much of what Jesus did on the cross was the fulfillment of that first Passover. So you've got mercy and judgment. Those covered by the blood receive mercy. Those not covered by the blood of those lambs uh, received judgment. We're right to think of it that way. Passover is about mercy and judgment, but it's also a, a clear display of power. It, the Passover is a, is a clear display of God's power, especially in its context there in, in Exodus. Pharaoh was claiming that he was the authority over life and death. Right? The Pharaoh was a, a godlike figure in their pantheon, and their way of understanding who the Pharaoh was. He thought he was the god the authority, at least, of of life and death in Egypt. Remember, that's where the whole thing started, kill the baby boys. Pharaoh thought he had the authority over life and death. But with the 10th plague, the Lord says, oh, no, you don't. The Lord says, no, Pharaoh, you're wrong. I, the Lord, am the final authority over life and death. And so that that angel of death, that whole story, that is, yes, it's mercy and judgment, but it's also a tremendous uh, display of God's power. And Moses, and not just Moses, but all the people of Israel at that time, uh, they were part of that by faith. 
You see how they participate in it. They experienced. They were ground zero of that thing. Uh, by faith, they took, you know, by faith, they applied the blood to their doorposts so that they would be passed over. And so they experienced his power and also his grace and mercy uh, by faith. That's the Passover. That's the first power one. Uh, the second power one is uh, even clearer for us that it's powerful. It's the Red Sea. So that's verse 29. Uh, the parting of the Red Sea is really one of the great power miracles of the of the bible I mean, you've got the creation itself uh you've got the resurrection of jesus and i don't know red seas right up there right i mean it's just god opens up the ocean right the red sea so that the people of god can walk across and i always love this part they, they don't just walk across it, 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 on, in mud it's dry right i mean it's what a miracle Right? It's, they walk across on, on dry land. And then the Egyptians go, oh, okay, is that how this goes? And so they try to follow, and the text reminds us he closed it back down again. And so again, it's just powerful, right? It's, 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 a, it's a clear example of the Lord's power to save and also to destroy. And by faith, those Hebrews saw it. By faith, they had to trust the Lord. Right? Have you ever imagined that, you know, that whole scenario? You put yourself there and, and uh, the waters open up and I, you know, Exodus makes it seem like it took place over a few hours, but you're standing there and then Moses says, all right, let's go. Really? <laughs> right? I mean, can't you imagine a sense of uh, that first step, those first steps, maybe, and not just yourself, but bringing out your, maybe your little ones, if you've got little ones, you know, okay, we're going we're gonna to walk out there. That's tremendous faith to walk out there like they did. And by that faith, by that trust, they, they saw it. They experienced the Lord's power. Same thing for us. Yeah, we haven't crossed through the Red Sea literally, but we experience the Lord's power in our own lives the same way they did. We experience it by trusting Him. We experience it by faith. Every time we pray, and prayer is an act of faith. You, know, you say, oh, I don't have enough faith. If you prayed, that's faith. Right? If you, maybe it was a, a weak, niggling prayer like so many of my own, but, but, it, but it's a by-faith prayer. If you're turning to Him, that's by faith. Every time the Lord answers one of our prayers, we see it. We see His power in action. Sometimes it's, it's the way we wanted and we hoped and we prayed. Uh, sometimes, you know, you get that classic no. You know, you've heard the old, sometimes He says yes, sometimes He says no. Sometimes, but even that's a display of power. How many times has He averted us from something that would have been so bad for us if we got what we wanted? And, and then other times he, he answers in a way that completely surprises us. We asked for this and he gives us something like this. Right? And, and so sometimes it's that. But, but every time he answers our prayers, we, we see, we get to participate in and experience his power in our lives. And we do it by faith. We do it because we're trusting him. So we experience the Lord's power by faith. Number five, the fifth way trusting the Lord helps us every day is that it helps us. It's a discipleship issue this time. It helps us obey the Lord's word. We obey the Lord by faith. We obey the Lord by faith. Um, there's lots of examples in this one too. In fact, you could probably make the case every single one of these in some way or another had to obey the Lord's word. But uh, I think the next one shows it especially well. So I put it here in the outline. It's, uh, it's, it's verse 30. We move on now from Moses. It's the guy who came after Moses. Uh, verse 30 says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So verse 30 is talking about 
a man named Joshua. He's not named there, but Joshua is the one who exercises the faith in verse 30. Uh, Joshua was the commander of Israel. He actually is the one who is appointed by God to take over from Moses after Moses dies. And so he is uh, the leader of Israel, and uh, he wasn't a king, but functioned a lot like a king. But more importantly, he was the commander of the army. He was the commander of Israel's army when the Lord says, all right, let's go. Time to attack Jericho. City number one, the first one that you get to as you come in from the east, which is where they came in from, is this place called, this strong, fortified city called Jericho. So the Lord says, you're going to go attack Jericho. But it was not, and you can read all this in Joshua chapters 1 through 6, it was not a conventional plan of attack by any means. Uh, The Lord says, all right, Joshua, so here's what you're going to do. You get the army. Okay, check. That that makes sense. You're going to take the army, and you're going to march around the city of Jericho. And And actually, that maybe sounds strange to us, but in the ancient world, marching around the city wasn't that strange. It was a way to intimidate the enemy. The strange part was, don't say anything, and then keep doing it for a whole week. That part was the unusual part. Uh, and so if you, if you go back, you remember, so for, the Lord says, for each day, take the whole army, march around the city, don't make any noise, just march around the city, go back and rest. Do it six more, do it six times. On the seventh day, now you're going to march around the city seven times, still silent, and then blow the trumpets. That's the orders Joshua is given by God. And he did, right? Don't take it for granted. He did it. He did it. Joshua obeyed the Lord's command, not because it seemed like great military strategy. It probably didn't. He obeyed because he trusted the Lord. He obeyed by faith. Of course, if you remember the story, you know what happened next. Actually, our author tells us what happened next. They blew the trumpets, and by faith, the walls fell. It wasn't the walls' faith that made those walls fall. It was Joshua's faith, his faith in obeying the Lord and doing what he had been commanded by God to do, his, his obedience to the Lord by faith caused the walls to fall. I think this one's really important for us we, because we face this all the time. Obedience takes faith. Every time you and I choose to obey a command of God that we might not have wanted to, to obey, some of his commands are a delight to obey. You know, husbands love your wives. That's usually a delight, right? But, but some of his commands are, are, are hard for us. Right? Especially when they're so countercultural, a lot of the commands of God, many of them anyway, are, are, are so uh, against the current of the culture and the world in which we live, especially now, so countercultural. Um, take, take giving, right? financial giving, you know, tithing or however you want to, you know, sacrificial giving. Um, that takes faith, right? especially when t- times are a little harder economically. It takes faith to trust the Lord, to give a significant portion of our income to, to his work, to missionaries, to the church, to whatever else it is. That, that's a faith thing to do. And we're doing it. Why do we do it? We do it. It's not out of the generosity of our hearts. For Christians, we do it in obedience to, to our, our God's command. You see it in the whole area of sexuality. That one's a very countercultural one as well. Uh, the world today largely rejects the sexual morality of the Bible. The world in which you and I live largely rejects what this book says about human sexuality. In fact, it, it, I'll go further than that. The world thinks we're nuts with the choices we make, with the, 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 the things that we, say, we, we, we obey in this book. Uh, they think we're, we're crazy to wait for marriage. Like, I don't know if anybody even does that anymore. Hopefully Christians are, but they, they think we're, we're crazy to say that a couple should. No, no, they should try each other out, make sure it works. Uh, they, they think we're nuts to stay married to the same person. Okay, hey, if that works for you, great. But if that ain't working for you, if you're not satisfied, you should check out. You should go get another one. Why would you be married to the same person for a whole lifetime? They think we're crazy. They think we're, 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 
wrong. In fact, sometimes they'll call us evil on this one when we say that a person should say no to same-sex attraction. Right? We don't deny that that's a thing. Of course, that, there's all kinds of brokenness in human sexuality. But, but we, you know, the Bible says say no to those attractions. Say no to those desires. They say no. That, that, they call us evil. We're not just nuts. We're evil for promoting that kind of, kind of immorality. So if you and I as believers are going to obey, by, obey what God tells us to do in that area of human sexuality, we've got to do it by faith. We've got to do it with a confidence, a trust in him that what he says is right, even if the world around us says we're, we're wrong or off the wall or even evil for, for, saying, for, for doing what he tells us to do. So how do we obey the Lord? We obey the Lord by faith. We do it because we trust him. Number six, uh, the, another way that trusting the Lord helps us in the present is it helps us to submit. It helps us to submit to the lordship of the Lord, to, to, to the Lord's lordship. A little wordy there, but it helps us submit to his lordship. That's what Rahab did. She's the next one, Rahab. Rahab submitted her entire life. She gave her life over to the Lord, and she did it, Hebrews 11 tells us, by faith. By faith, she submitted her life to the Lord, and because she did, she was saved. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Rahab's story is uh, t- told in Joshua. It's, it's actually contemporaneous with, it happens the same time as, as the Walls story, which is why they're together like that. Uh, it's, you could read her story in Joshua chapter 2 and then again in chapter 6. Uh, just to refresh our memories, uh, Joshua, this was before the Walls fell and the whole march around the city thing, before God told him to do that, uh, he decided to send some spies. He sent some spies into the city, sound military strategy, go check it out, see if there's any weak points. And so he sends these spies, two men, I think we're told, to go spy out the city. Uh, apparently, they were not very good spies, though. <laughs> and I say that because they, they practically, they almost get caught. They, they almost get caught. In fact, the only reason these men escape is that a woman named Rahab hid them in her house. That's the friendly welcome that the verse mentioned. She, she, she welcomes them into her house and she actually hides them up on the roof. Uh, Rahab was a Gentile woman, so she was not Jewish. In fact, she is, uh, fun fact, she's the only non-Gentile, or excuse me, non-Jew. She's the only Gentile in this particular chapter. So she was a Canaanite living in the enemy city of Jericho. She was a Canaanite among Canaanites whom God had said they were to be destroyed. She's also a businesswoman. And by businesswoman, I mean a prostitute. Uh, she, they, that was an acceptable business in the immoral cities of the Canaanites. I don't think anybody thought anything of what she did. It's, uh, we would, but um, she was a businesswoman. In fact, the, the fact that it's her house would seem to imply she maybe kind of ran the brothel. I mean, she, she's that's why I said what I said. She's a, she's a businesswoman. And, and so not a good business, but she's a businesswoman. So what, what can we say about Rahab? We can say that she's lost, right? She is a lost woman. She is on her way to hell, just like all the other Canaanites, right? All of them are, 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 are under the same ban. They're all going to be destroyed. However, by faith, right? By faith, Rahab did something that all the other Canaanites did not do. When the other Canaanites heard, and I'm going to read it in a second, when the other others heard what she did, what God did for Israel, they were afraid. When Rahab heard what God did for Israel, she submitted to him. She submitted to the Lord when she heard 
what kind of a God he was. Listen to what she said. This is the only, I'm going to read. Um, I like the story of Rahab. She gives me such hope. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read this one. This is Joshua 2. Listen to what she says to these two spies. Joshua 2, verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. They were going to hide underneath the flax, I believe it was. Yeah, on the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, here comes her personal testimony, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And then she goes on from there. I could keep reading. What she goes on to say is, uh, when you defeat the city, not if, <laughs> she's, got, she's got more faith than half the Israelite army at this point. When you defeat the city, spare me. Spare me, she says. I'm helping you, so in exchange, would you spare me and spare my family? Save us from the destruction you're about to bring. Uh, Rahab is eventually uh, incorporated into the nation of Israel. She eventually becomes part of the people of Israel. She's actually uh, in David. She's one of David's ancestors. Um, she, so King David, which means she's one of Jesus' ancestors. In fact, she gets a shout out in the genealogy of of Jesus in Matthew, Matthew chapter one, Rahab, there she is. And so she's a, a wonderful redemption story. She's one of the Bible's great redemption stories, but don't ever forget that's not where she started. That's not where she started. Rahab was not a good woman, right? When we meet her, she's not moral. She's not pure. She's not honest, right? People get hung up on the lie she tells. You're like, oh, nope, they're not here. Oh, is that okay for her to lie? She's a liar, sure, right? She's, she's not pure. She's not honest. But she did the most important thing right. She submitted her life to the Lord. And because she did, she was saved. Same thing's true for us. Same thing's true for you and me. You and I, in this regard, are the same as Rahab the prostitute, right? We're not saved by anything we did. We're not excluded by anything we did. We are saved by faith and faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. Great for all us Rahabs to hear. It's not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. And so this is, you know, this is the salvation one of all these. You say, well, aren't we saved by faith? Yes. And that one's here for sure. We submit our lives to the Lord's Lordship by faith. We cast ourselves upon his mercy by faith. Number seven, uh, another way that trusting the Lord helps us in the present is that it, it helps us to serve his purposes. All right, so this one's a big picture one in terms of, of serving the purposes of God with our own lives. We serve the Lord's purposes by faith. And that's what we see in the next section. Now, at this point in the, in the chapter, the author shifts into hyperdrive, right? It's like he puts it up in the highest gear because up until now, he's been going one person at a time, right? But now he's, he starts grouping. He starts lumping different groups together and treating people. He'll still say a few names, but he actually starts treating people as groups. And so um, we'll move a little quicker, actually. Uh, let's look at the next section. So I'm going to read from verse 32 to the start of verse 35. He says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead, 
by resurrection. We'll stop there for now. There are so many good examples, the, the author says. I actually think Hebrews is a sermon. I think I've said this earlier on. Originally, I think the whole thing is a single sermon this guy preached. And uh, I think this is one of those passages that make me think it. He says, I can say so much more. <laughs> There's so many examples of faith in, in God's word, he says, that I, I don't even have time to tell you about them all. Uh, he then tells us about a few more. And so he, he goes on to the period of the judges. That's what comes after Joshua. Right? And so he mentions four by name, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. They weren't the only judges, but they're four, four familiar ones. Uh, if you've read Judges, you know all of those men were far from perfect, but you don't have to be perfect right, to come to the Lord. You just have to have faith. You just have to trust him. So he reminds us of those men who, by faith, did the things they did. He mentions David. right? So you have David and Samuel and the prophets, he says. So do you see what he's doing in terms of um, what, I, what I mean when I say he starts with groups? Right? So we had the patriarchs, and we have the period of the exodus and the conquest, and then he just lumps the judges all together in half a verse, right? and then he, he lumps the kings and the prophets, which is about 400 to 500 years. He lumps that all together in half a verse. And so David, Samuel, the prophets, he says. And, and so you have, you know, we're kind of thinking of the timeline in our heads, and then, he sa- and then he gives us a list. It's actually 10 items on this list of all the sorts of things these men and women did by faith. And he goes to the list, right? And so they conquered kingdom. Right? You think of Joshua in the, in the, in the land or all the, you know, so many others of, of that with Israel. They obtained promises. They escaped the edge of the sword, right? That one makes you think of David. You think of David and how he had to flee from Saul and, and uh, really should have been caught so many times, but, he, but by faith he escaped. Uh, they quenched them. Uh, they stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the power of fire, it says. Those two probably make you think of Daniel, and I think they're supposed to. They make us think of the, the prophet Daniel, the book of, of Daniel. Daniel, of course, was thrown into the lion's den, but the angels stopped, the, the, shut the mouths of the lions, and so their mouths were stopped by Daniel's faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego quenched the power of the fire. There they were in the furnace, but the, the flames couldn't touch them because their faith, their trust was in the Lord. Uh, verse 35 talks about uh, women receiving back their dead from, uh, fr- by resurrection, receiving back their loved ones from, from the dead by resurrection. Say, did that happen in the Old Testament? Yes, it did. There's actually two incidences, one with the prophet Elijah, one with the prophet Elisha. If you want to look them up, it's 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 4. In each case, there was a a woman who lost a son that the Lord graciously brought back to life at the hands of of one of his prophets. And it wasn't the women's faith so much as it was the faith of those prophets whom the Lord used. And so we're given that example as well. Like I said, there's lots in there. Uh, I'm in the same boat as the author of Hebrews. I don't, if I only had time, right? If only we had only had time. There's There's a lot in there. But that's actually his point. That's why he does it the way he does it. The, the point is, the Lord is always working, right? It would, you'd be hard-pressed to find a time when there wasn't something he wasn't doing somewhere. The Lord is always working. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never takes a break. And, and when we trust him, this is the author's point, when we trust him, we get to be part of what he's doing. We get to participate. When we trust in the Lord, we get to do what these men and women did. We get to serve the purposes of the Lord in our own generation. Right? We can't live a life 200 years ago. We weren't born then. We're born now. And so we get to serve him now. We get to serve his purposes now. And we do that by trusting him, by keeping and putting our faith in him. None of that, though, means it's easy. None of that means it's easy. Just because we're serving the purposes of God doesn't mean our lives will go smoothly. In fact, sometimes serving the purposes of God means our lives won't go smoothly. And that brings us to number eight. 
The eighth way trusting the Lord helps us in the present is that it helps us endure suffering. Trusting the Lord helps us endure suffering. Uh, Let's keep reading in this uh, hyperdrive run through this here. Middle of verse 35. He says, some, and and who he's talking about here is just a wide sweep of people who live by faith from all of this, everything that's been described and then some. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, people of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. We'll stop there. This, the paragraph I just read, is probably the toughest part. I think it's the toughest part of this chapter. And I say that because what I just read tells us that living by faith, which we've been commended to do, living by faith does not mean we will always like how it turns out. Living by faith does not mean we will like how things turn out. Not every time. Sometimes we will. And there's plenty of examples of that in in this chapter, right? Lots of times when David was very glad to be saved from the, the vindictive hand of King Saul. So sometimes we're glad with how it works out, but sometimes we're not. That's the point of this this section I just read. Some of the people in chapter 11 escaped to the edge of the sword, verse 34, but others were killed with the sword. Uh, Some became mighty in war, but others were tortured to death. Some conquered kingdoms, but others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. Some received back their dead, but most didn't, right? Most didn't. Most stood by the graves of their dead with nothing but their tears. So what's the point? Why is that here? Well, here's why it's here. Their example, all of these people who, who suffered because of their faith, their example encourages us because they did it by faith, right? They suffered. So they suffered because of their faith and they also suffered by faith. That's, that's what's going on here as we get to the end of this chapter. They're suffering in the midst of it. They kept trusting. They trusted in the Lord. They endured their suffering. They faced what God asked them to face by faith. So if you're suffering, this is your answer, right? Whatever suffering we're facing, this is our answer. If your life is in danger, like some of their lives were in danger, trust the Lord. If, if you're facing persecution of some kind, uh, like so many of them did that's outlined there, the answer for us is to trust the Lord. Uh, if you're living with, with deprivation and, in, and insecurity, right? That's really what's described in those last two verses I read, verses uh, 37 and 38. Uh, if you're, if you're, 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 it's, it's, you're, de- you're destitute, you're, you're, de- maybe you're out of a job or, you know, there's some kind of insecurity you live with each and every day. You know, you're not sure how you're going to pay the bills this month or if you're going to pass your classes if you're a student. What do you do when you face that kind of uncertainty and that kind of deprivation? You trust in the Lord. That's how we're going to get through it. We're going to do it by faith. Whatever suffering we're facing, we face it by faith. We trust the Lord. And so that's another way it helps us in the present. It's grief is a big one here. How do we get through grief and that black hole of grief? We do it by, and by, by faith, by trusting in the Lord. And here's the really good part. When we do, when we keep trusting him, he will bring us all the way to the end. And that's the last point we're going to look at today, and it comes as no surprise to us. Uh, The ninth way trusting the Lord helps is that it helps helps us persevere all the way to the end, a a theme we've talked about before. In fact, if you've been here for even just a, a few of the sermons in this series, you know 
I've made the case that's the point of the book of Hebrews. Right? I have argued that the purpose of this letter, uh, a lot of times we think of Hebrews, what's the point of Hebrews? Hebrews is to help us understand the, the New Testament in the context of the Old Testament, right? or understand the Old Testament and through the lens of the New Testament. Sure, it sure does help with that, no doubt about it. But I don't think it's the, it's the homiletical purpose of Hebrews. The purpose of Hebrews is to fill the readers with enduring courage, to help us press on in the face of all the challenges we're facing. That's why this God gave us this letter. And so this last one, the fact that the chapter ends on this, on this note comes as no surprise, right? The God who said, I will bring you all the way through if you keep your faith in me. Well, of course, this is what he's going to do for us. He's going to help us persevere to the end. Look at verses, and, and that, that's what, uh, how he brings it all together here in 39 and 40. He says, and all these, every one you thought of and that he talked about in the first 38 verses, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something far, uh, something better for us, uh, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So verse 39 takes us back to verse 2. Uh, verse 2, and when we looked at it, I pointed this out. Verse 2 says that by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Verse 39 says they were commended by their faith. And so all of these people we've looked at in the last three weeks, they were all approved by God. That's what commended means. They were approved by God because they trusted him. That was what he approved of. He approved of the fact that they put their faith in him. So we know, right? We, at this point, there's no question in our mind that all of these people had faith in the Lord. And yet, the author reminds us, they didn't receive what was promised. They didn't get the things that they were, they were, they were heading for, right? So they had faith, but they didn't receive. We talked about some examples last week. Abraham did not live to see the settlement of the promised land. Even though that promise was made to him, he didn't see it. Isaac and Jacob didn't live to see all those descendants. Joseph didn't live to see the exodus. And it keeps going. It's not just those guys we talked about last week. Moses didn't get to enter the promised land. David didn't get to build the temple. Elijah didn't ever get to live under a good king. All he had was that rotten Ahab. Daniel didn't get to return after the exile. Most important of all, and this is what tucks them all together, most important of all, none of them got to see Jesus. And this is what the author brings us back to at the end of the chapter. None of them got to see Jesus. That's this whole idea of, um, of where, where he says, uh, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Ultimately, what every one of those people of faith, he tells us, and you wouldn't know this necessarily from reading the Old Testament, but now the author tells us what every one of them was ultimately looking forward to was Jesus. And none of them got to see him. Not, not on this side of the veil, anyway. None of them got what was promised. Why? It's not even a why. It's not the reason for it. He just says, you and I do. Right? So they are not a saved. When it says they're not saved apart from us, it's not that you and I have anything to do with saving them. He's just saying they needed to be saved the same way you and I are saved, which is through Jesus. Right? So we're not better than any of those people. We just have the privilege of living at the time when we get to see the completion of the plan. That's, that's the idea there. And so we look at their perseverance, which we've spent three weeks looking at from different angles. We look at their perseverance. It is such an inspiration to us, right? In this idea that we are, to, this book is, is to help us keep pressing on. These folks are all meant to be an, an inspiration to us because they kept pressing on and they didn't even have what we have. They kept enduring. They kept pressing on. They kept trusting all the way to the end and they didn't even have Jesus like we do. And so that's the lesson for us as it ends. If, if they persevered, then so can we, right? To see that, that push. And then that's going to take us right into the next chapter. If they persevered and they didn't even have Jesus yet, how much more can you and I? If we can trust in the Lord, we can be confident that he will, he will bring us all the way to the end.